0: Welcome to episode 4 of Talking Ball. I am Jaden Wardwell sitting alongside
1: YC Quince aka Luke Roth
0: and Big Matt Wallen. So today I've got to start off with a little bit of a rant about the NFL preseason. So teams like the Falcons, the Eagles have been losing a lot of preseason games and their their fans excuses including mine up until now has been oh it's just the preseason it's just the preseason well guess what we're not all patriots fans we can't keep saying that crap the preseason does matter maybe not for guys like drew Brees or carson wentz or tom brady but it matters for guys like 25 to 53 on the roster we see a lot of guys who break out in the preseason who end up having successful nfl regular seasons this solidifies spots for guys but I, do, I must say that I think it needs to be changed. I don't think starters or bona fide starters like Tom Brady's or Drew Brees' need to play in the preseason. I think it should be more of an NBA Summer League kind of thing. So maybe have 30-man rosters of maybe first- through fourth-year players and let them battle out for positions on the team.
2: One thing I'm going to say about the postseason mattering is last year the Browns— Preseason, you mean? Yeah, last year in the post or preseason, the Browns went four and zero, and then in the regular season they went zero and sixteen.
0: Okay, well that should tell you that they have a lot of young talent because in the preseason it's mostly young guys who don't get a lot of regular season playing time playing. I think they need to change it from more of a veteran focus to a more of an NF for to more of an NBA summer league kind of experiment, where again it's years guys from years one through four and. Maybe not all of them make the roster, but they get to battle it out for those remaining roster spots. Why waste time playing Tom Brady, a five-time Super Bowl champion, in the preseason against a backup safety who went to middle Minnesota scientific research institution?
1: I do agree that preseason is very important. Um, In football, you can practice a lot against your team, but getting young guys in the stadium against against real fans out there, against real teams, can help them experience a lot and can raise their chances to play better in the regular season. I agree having them play against Tom Brady, especially if it was a week one preseason matchup as your first week with the team, is not going to make you any better. If you play young guys and you're in the stadium and you're getting a feel for the NFL, I think it can really benefit them later on
0: and that's all i'm saying it's just why waste the time playing the veterans when this could be a really good opportunity for young guys who haven't really gotten any playing time to get playing time and battle for the roster spots you know i don't see any point in playing a drew Brees and making him throw the ball 20 times why waste that we know drew Brees can play football but if you've got a wide receiver who's in his second year in the league and has already played for four teams how about give him a few throws and let him have a little bit of playing time? I think the preseason could be a really useful tool. NFL teams just look at it wrong. I would not use it as a preparation tool, but more of as a developmental tool. Moving on now to Des Bryant. He's been a hot topic this season. He appeared on Hard Knocks with the Cleveland Browns. Obviously, he was a Dallas Cowboy wide receiver, so all the attention is going to go to him for no apparent reason just because he was a Cowboy, but he's still a free agent. You know, he he tweeted this morning that he's going to play just maybe not week one and that he needs to get himself right. But I think that's all all a bunch of bull. I think he just hasn't gotten any offers. But, Luke, do you think he deserves to be on a team week one?
1: Absolutely. I think Des Bryant does deserve to be on a team. If you look back at his years in what I believe to be 2012, 2013, and 2014, He averaged over 12 touchdowns in the season, and that's really high for some of these good wide receivers this year. He got 1,000 yards each year, and it slowly went downhill as Tony Romo left and Dak Prescott came in and the system started to revolve. No wide receiver
0: is going to succeed under Dak Prescott. They call him Dink and Dunk Dak for a reason. He doesn't throw the ball over seven yards down the field. But I just think Des Bryant's past his prime. How old is he now? Do we have an age on him?
1: Um. I don't have an age on him right now, but I know this is his eighth year in the league via a stat I saw this
0: morning. Okay, so let's assume he was 22 when he came in the league, so he's probably 30, 31 years old. That's about the shelf life for a star receiver. I think he needs to be on a team. I don't think he's done anything to – really not deserve a second chance he had one bad year in Dallas but I don't think he can be a featured guy I think maybe a place like Jacksonville now with the loss of Marquise Lee who was a burner down the field maybe a Des Bryant coming in providing a little uh, back shoulder fade big uh, possession receiver kind of talent it wouldn't replace him but it would be a good filler
2: Des Bryant deserves to be on a team but I don't think he needs he should be the wide receiver one for any team anymore. I think he can be a solid wide receiver two for a team or even go down to a wide receiver three but he can't be a wide receiver number one.
1: I disagree with that. We're talking about a guy who makes big catches. He's hard to guard. He's hard to get all your mass around. He also has
0: that elite size. that guys like Calvin Johnson and Randy Moss and Terrell Owens have.
1: We're also talking about a guy who's only fumbled two times in four years. This guy catches the ball and doesn't lose possession. He drives upfield. He's very hard to bring down. I think there's multiple teams in the league that could use him as a wide receiver one.
0: He has solid hands, but the problem is, you know, we can talk all about his good years and his stats and stuff but I would like to focus more on what he did in the bad years because he was in Tony Romo's ear after every play he's in Dak Prescott's ear after every play you can't there's no room for that on a team that's trying to build a young group of guys that are trying to win I think on Cleveland it would be much more of a detriment to their team than anything else just because because they've got guys like Josh Gordon, Jarvis Landry, and, to- and Antonio Callaway, all three of which are either outspoken or troublemakers. And a guy like Des Bryant is going to come there and be a diva and may- probably... Urge that or egg that on from them is not going to be a good fit. If you're going to get a veteran receiver as the Browns, you got to get a guy who knows how to handle himself on and off the field, and Des Bryant isn't that guy. I think Jacksonville would just be a good fit because they need any help on that offense they can get after losing their two best wide receivers to free agency and then losing their next best wide receiver to injury. I think Des Bryant would be the best fit there, but. I just don't think he can be a wide receiver number one for a long period of time. Maybe he's a filler, but not for a long time.
1: I think he'd be a great addition to Green Bay's offense. A guy who throws the ball a lot like Aaron Rodgers. Okay, Rogers. but can you
0: imagine Des Bryant? Aaron Rodgers, the best quarterback in the league, in my opinion, isn't going to take that. He's not going to take a guy after every play. Aaron oh, Rodgers gotta... isn't a winner like Tom Brady is. Oh, I agree with that. That We've had that conversation. I think Tom Brady's much more a winner, but talent wise, I think Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback in the league. He's not going to take Des Bryant in his year after every play. Oh, man. Oh, Aaron, you got to throw the ball to me, bro. You got to throw the ball to me. I was wide open on that one. I only had three guys on me on that one. I was wide open. Oh, Aaron, I was wide open. Aaron Rodgers is not going to take that. He's an elite quarterback who is used to playing at an elite level, and a Des Bryant is not going to fit in Green Bay.
2: Des Bryant caught the ball for sure, but I don't think he's going to be catching any contract offers from the Packers considering he just – he should have been like a career cowboy, but he turned into a diva and – I don't As think... most
0: good wide receivers do, unfortunately. I, 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 I'm not I, saying... I just want to add this, though. I just want to add this. On an on-the-field standpoint in Green Bay, the back shoulder fade that Aaron Rodgers, the connection he had with Jordy Nelson, I think he could probably reignite that with Des Bryant. But I just think his personality is too much. And he's especially been in, on horrible behavior ever since he was released.
1: And I'm not saying I think that Green Bay is going to offer him something. I just think that he'd fit in their system very well. One guy with a bad attitude isn't going to change your entire team, and he can learn to get past that.
0: I disagree. I mean, you look at, okay, so like let's He's just.
1: He's a 29-year-old enraged guy. He's going to grow older. A 29-year-old who in
0: typical Dallas Cowboys fashion has been overused and therefore in playing years is probably about 35, 36. Just how like Ezekiel Elliott is probably already 28, 29 in playing But when
1: you years. get this guy on the field for 14, 15, 16 games, he brings in more than 12 touchdowns each year. He's a big, big target. And so what that he has a bad attitude.
0: It, all I'm saying is that the Green Bay Packers are an organization that prides themselves on pro- professionalism. Name one diva that was ever on the Green Bay Packers in this era.
1: Name one. Um, I think Brett Favre retiring multiple times and coming back is quite the uh, thing I'm thing talking is.
0: about the Aaron Rodgers era.
1: The Aaron Rodgers era? I don't follow the Packers enough to do that. I'm not a cheesehead.
0: Okay, but you've got guys like Jordy Nelson, a world-class athlete a world-class guy, world-class talent. You've He got hasn't been good for a while, though. Clay Matthews, who even though on the field might be a little bit of a hothead off the field, he conducts himself nicely, and he's a good leader for that team. B.J. Raji, same way. You got guys like Julius Peppers who have gone through there with great leadership. Julius
1: he, Peppers has, has definitely had his flares of
2: rage. It,
0: Eddie, even Eddie Lacy, who gained 300 pounds as a Packer, was still a was still a good personality for that team.
2: Eddie Lacy only gained 300 pounds with the Packers.
0: Only three hundred. You're right.
2: For me, I think
1: it's I think it's talent over attitude, and a lot of teams need talent. I think I know that attitude does bring chemistry together, but some of these teams, like for example, I think Carolina needs a big receiver. I think Buffalo needs someone to help Kelvin Benjamin. I think a lot of teams could use Dez. Buffalo
0: needs to fix their offensive line because I, I'm a Josh Allen supporter, but he will not succeed with that offensive line. He's getting hit every play in the preseason, but that's another topic. I could see Des Bryant in Buffalo. That could help Josh Allen out a lot next to Kelvin Benjamin. I could see him in Carolina. You've already got the biggest diva in the league in Cam Newton. Why not add another one?
2: How about Des Bryant to the Patriots? As some no. rumors him? No,
0: no, no, no. That's not the Patriot way. You don't understand. The Patriots pride themselves on professionalism, just like the Packers, and they get winners, not Des Bryant's, not Des Bryant's.
1: Oh, so, what would you base Spygate off of?
0: Cheating, but they're winners. Like I hate the Patriots as much as the next well, you guy. You
1: said they pr- pride themselves on professionalism. Yeah, they're professional. They
0: cheat professionally, don't they?
1: Jesus Christ! I but if you did watch Hard Knocks though, Des Bryant did bond well with Jarvis Landry. Whether they, I think Jarvis Landry has a small attitude. It would problem be the well. worst
0: thing that you could possibly do to Baker Mayfield to add not one, not two but three, but four troubled wide receivers into the mix for him. That's awful. Baker Just Mayfield's Josh Gordon would too. be enough.
1: No, he's he's air thrusting on the sidelines <laughs> in Oklahoma. This is a Browns team that everybody Was it him
0: who flipped a fan off, or is that Johnny Football? I think both of them did. I think
1: they both did, but um, Baker Mayfield was the one who was air humping, I think, during the Sugar Bowl. But this is a team that everybody's going to He's gonna immature, hate. and that's what I'm saying. This he doesn't need be,
0: more immature players around it.
1: This is going to be a team that no one's going to like. Everybody's
0: that, on the Browns bandwagon. Everyone, Don't give me no, that.
1: Everyone within the Browns organization is going to love them. It's going to be a bunch of Dennis Rodman's on one team. I think this team can go far.
0: I Well, first of all, this year they're not winning more than five games, and I will stick. No way. They're going at least they They're eight not eight. winning more than five games, and I'll bet you a meal at varsity for that. Don't
2: let this forget. I'll bet you two. Don't let this make you guys forget that Johnny Football celebrated a first down after a face mask in the end zone.
0: Uh, thank you for that, Skip Bayless. Uh, all I'm saying is, and this is my final point, Des Bryant is a diva. He hasn't proved himself on the field in the last two, three years, and he has no, he is in no position to be a number one wide receiver right now. Sure, he could earn that back. There's lots of guys who have done that, but Des Bryant right now needs to be number two or number three. Moving on, though, sticking to wide receivers, Giants wide receiver Odell Beckham Jr. was recently given a $95 million contract over five years with his team, and $65 million of that is guaranteed. Luke, does Odell Beckham deserve to be the highest paid receiver in the league?
1: In my opinion, I think he does. He's the most, in my opinion, the most explosive player in the league. I think he's one of the fastest players in the league, and Another thing that comes with signing him for this long, you bring more fans into the stadium. Odell is a franchise player. I, and what kids do you see out here yelling, Antonio Brown, when they make a catch? Nobody. Everyone screams Odell. Everyone wants to mm-hmm. be just like him. Mm-hmm. He's a franchise player, and he brings in... he's well Him bringing fans in, that brings in revenue for the Giants. I think they're going to make it back overall. I think he's a great, great extension.
0: Okay, so... I think if we're having the conversation right now, does Odell deserve to be the highest paid player in the league? That is a different conversation than is Odell the best wide receiver. I think he's the third best receiver in the league behind Julio Jones and Antonio Brown in that order. But yes, Odell does deserve to be the highest paid player in the league, and here's why. A, he's in the Big Apple where stars are made. So you look at Antonio Brown in comparison and Pittsburgh, who was the last star out of pittsburgh you heard you don't see kids wearing antonio brown jerseys around you see kids wearing odell jerseys and there's a reason it's all about location and Antonio Brown in Pittsburgh, he's not going to get the same kind of hype Odell does. Odell's going to bring in more money for his team, and he's going to be more of a big play, big personality kind of guy. And I think in New York, it's the only place where it's okay to be a diva. And sure, Odell sometimes goes a little bit over the top, and he may not be the best receiver, but he brings, he brings PR, and he's a big explosive player. I think he more than deserves his contract. This is a victory for Odell, a victory for the Giants, and a victory for the NFLPA.
1: And you can see how bad they faltered last year without a good wide receiver like Odell Beckham Jr. I mean, they went from it being a team that was competing. With also,
0: a- it has to do with how. Awful! Coach Ben McAdoo was
1: that may that may be true, but you look at this Giants team that goes from extremely competing with a good fourteen and two Dallas team. They were a good team in the regular season, and the Giants were competing with them. And I think one of the two losses came from the Giants to a team that faltered to I think what was three and thirteen last year. This team really missed Odell. I think Odell's plays energize a team. I think even if even if it looks like he's a diva on the field, big plays where he's celebrating big things energizes a team.
0: Realizing that my last point was a little bit scattered, I just want to summarize it by saying the Giants immediately become relevant again when Odell steps on the field and immediately irrelevant again when Odell gets 100%. off the field. And that is, I think, how you determine your value. And your your value is how much someone is willing to pay you.
2: Odell definitely deserves to be the most paid wide receiver in the league right now, even over a player like DeAndre Hopkins. Just because of age... I Wait, th- DeAndre Hopkins? Yeah. Well, let me finish. Oh my. I'm saying he deserves to be the most the highest Here paid wa- Skiff again. He deserves to be the highest paid wide receiver over DeAndre Hopkins and Antonio Brown and Julio Jones just because of age and namesake. Odell Beckham Jr. brings fans into the stadium and he is 25 years old and already a superstar, while Antonio Brown's 30 years old right now and he's going to digress in a couple years. At least, and same with Julio, who is, I think, 29, and then DeAndre Hopkins, I think, just isn't as big of a name as Odell Beckham Jr.
0: Okay, good. You kind of brought that back to earth there. I was worried you were gonna go go on with that DeAndre Hopkins thing for a minute, but I agree with both of these guys. You know, Odell's the biggest name. He brings in the most money for his team, so pay him the most money. He may not be the best, but he makes big plays and he brings prop- popularity. He's a great wide receiver. He's top three in the league. You know that you can't underestimate his value to that team. And you know, sure, guys like Antonio Brown, I would rather have him on my team. But Antonio, I think Odell deserves to be the highest paid without a doubt.
1: For our next segment, we're going to be going into the newly released ESPN Top One Hundred NFL Players list of two thousand eighteen. Yeah, of this season. Um, the biggest controversial thing is they have Aaron Rodgers at number one and Tom Brady at number two. I disagree with this because, well, here's the thing, actually, I don't really disagree with what, with what ESPN did here. I think they did this to grab attention because everyone knows when you look at the list, everyone knows Tom Brady's the GOAT. Everyone knows that a list with Tom Brady at the top doesn't intrigue you to want to look into the rest. A a, A list where someone you don't expect to be at the top at the top is going to make you look into the rest of
0: it. Well, here's the thing. In just in terms of one, two, I think Aaron Rodgers is a better quarterback, but Tom Brady's the better player. You know, so I think he's got to be number one. He wins more games and he puts up better numbers. But Aaron Rodgers is a little bit more talented. I think at number six, a little bit of a reach with Drew Brees. He puts up great numbers, but he he's 39 years old, just like to, in two years younger than Tom Brady. Who knows how much longer he's got left, but he did have a great 2018. Number 8, you've got Julio. Number 10, Khalil Mack. And number 11, OBJ. Number 12, Gronk. Number 13, Todd Gurley. And then you've got some more surprises like Joey Bosa at 14 and Luke Keekley at 16. But this list, I think ESPN just did it for attention. Putting Aaron Rodgers at number 1 sparked the controversy. Because they even had Fox Sports talking about it. ESPN is dying. They are lacking the entertainment part of their name. And I think they're trying to do whatever they can do to keep it alive. Fox Sports is Fox Sports is currently dominating the game along with Talking and Ball, and I just think ESPN is reaching for attention as they normally do. I don't I don't want to read too much into this list just because it's ESPN being ESPN.
2: I'm more interested in the fact that they've got Russell Wilson behind Ben Roethlisberger, when Ben Roethlisberger has great pieces like Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown on that offense, but Russell Wilson doesn't have a lot of pieces on that offense besides for Doug Baldwin. In fact, he even led the Seahawks last year in rushing yards over the running backs.
1: I personally think without Russell Wilson, the Seahawks would be 0-16. Uh, I agree. I think he's the most valuable player to
0: his team in the NFL.
1: He sparks. He I mean, this guy plays with his whole heart for all four quarters. Um, he inspires the team. He makes big plays that a lot of NFL quarterbacks can't do. I mean, you put Ben Roethlisberger ahead of him, but are you going to see Ben Roethlisberger scrambling back 10 yards, juking a guy out, and then getting a game? 360
0: pump faking, they're on a 60-yard pass down the field to some guy who was working at Footwalker the exactly. last week.
1: Every year, the Seahawks are somewhat in the mix because of Russell Wilson. That's unfortunate how they manage their team with their de- with almost all their defensive players now gone, but every, every team is a com- contending team if you have Russell Wilson.
0: So last year, Russell Wilson threw for 3,983 yards, 34 touchdowns, and 11 interceptions. He had a quarterback rating of 95.4, which encompasses every measure of a quarterback. And that is a non-biased rating right there because that is pure stats measured. Russell Wilson not only passes the statistical test, but passes the eye test. He will pump fake and juke his way out of trouble, and he will throw the ball down the field, and he's not a dink and dunker like a lot of guys who run like that. He really throws the ball down the field. He's got elite speed and elite arm talent and elite vision. I think Russell Wilson might just be the most underrated quarterback in the league, and especially now that the Legion of Boom is out of Seattle, I think we can really see
2: that. One thing to add about Russell Wilson's stats is last year, he had 586 rushing yards on 95 attempts and 3 touchdowns. And sure you want to look at the fumbles and they were pretty high at 14, but you're talking about a QB who posts 4000 passing yards in a 34 to 11 touchdown interception ratio and also gets 586 rushing yards. That's that's a pretty amazing.
0: For sure, Russell Wilson is a very good quarterback, and I don't think we can underestimate that. But just back to the number one and two guys, should Aaron Rodgers be ranked over Todd or Tom Brady? We had this conversation last time about who you would rather have, but is Aaron Rodgers better?
1: I don't think so. I don't think that um, – I mean, look at it. Tom Brady makes New England a contender every year. Everyone hates Tom Brady because he always wins. You can't say that with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, Aaron Rodgers – He is, won
0: one Super Bowl that his defense carried him to. Yeah.
1: I mean, but you, the Packers aren't a contender every single year. You get a 10-6 season here, a 13-3 there, a 9-7 there. You never know with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, he's yes, I think he has a lot of talent, but, I mean – you can't, you can't rate him over someone who
2: constantly gets his team to the Super Bowl. Aaron Rodgers is a better athlete than Tom Brady, and I don't think that's even a question because you look at Tom Brady's athleticism and it's not that great. But Tom Brady just knows how to win in every situation that you could come across.
0: And Before, oh. Hold on. Before we move on to some college football talk, Luke, if you could describe this whole list in one word, what would it be?
1: Well, two things. I would describe this list as eye-catching. And the second thing, something you're probably not going to like, the Eagles did win the Super Bowl, but I don't think Tom Brady lost. I oh, don't th- no, I agree with that. I, I oh, agree with all that. All right, well, I think sure. he picked apart an Eagles defense, and I don't think that's something Aaron Rodgers could have done.
0: All right, but so for your one word, you've got a hyphenated word, eye-catching. Correct. For me, I've got to go reach. I think this is a huge reach by ESPN and a huge attention grab yeah i'm gonna go with attention grabbing and i did misspeak before we move on to college football we've got to get into probably some of the biggest news of the day biggest news in the nba we've had in a long time spurs forward monty ginobili has retired after 17 seasons in the nba his major accolades include being a two-time all-nba player a four-time nba champ a two-time nba all-star a 6 man of the year in 2008, and an Olympic gold medalist with Argentina when he pulled off one of the biggest upsets in Olympic history. Not just Olympic basketball history, but Olympic history. Luke, does Manu Ginobili deserve to be a Hall of Famer?
1: It's really up there for me. Um, statistically, you would have to say you don't think he would get in, but he did change the game in multiple ways. His loyalty is something that's very, I, that I think he should be very prided upon, but he also brought the Euro step to the NBA. He changed a lot of stuff. I mean, he was a great passer. I mean, he didn't I mean, he didn't have great years. He wasn't always an all-star, but I really don't know for Mono Ginobili. I mean, he's a big name. He's been in San, San Antonio for a long time. But I think if you take Mono Ginobili off these teams that won um, four NBA titles, I think the Spurs can still win these championships.
0: Could we imagine? So, hold on, hold on, hold on. Now, I just want to say this <clears throat> before we get into the rest of this conversation. Name another Hall of Famer that has never averaged over 20 points per game or over five assists per game or over five rebounds a game. You can't name one. Monty Ginobili is a Hall of Fame guy. He's a perfect example of this. Being a Hall of Fame guy, a Hall of Fame... Guy, a Hall of Fame personality, and a Hall of Fame innovator, but at no point has he ever been a Hall of Fame player, and that's okay. He was a good guy, he was loyal, and he was a nice piece on a lot of Spurs championship teams, but by no means was he a Hall of Fame player. Hall of Fame is for guys who are legendary, and Manu Ginobili is very solid and a very good player, but never legendary.
1: I do agree. I mean, but if you look, if Rafael Peach can make the OFL Hall of Fame, you never know.
2: Manu may sneak in there. The only Hall of Fame that that I think Mono Ginobili is getting into is gonna be the Spurs Hall of Fame. I don't think he's getting into the NBA Hall.
0: I agree. NBA he's an all time great Spurs and he was great for their organization. I completely agree.
1: I think that um he him being in the Spurs Hall of Fame is a great idea. I think you can't put a guy with such a nice bald spot out of the Hall of Fame. It's evolved so much. He's a peace player. I mean if you look at NBA 2K just released a slideshow of how his bald spot has evolved. That's something that needs to be in the Spurs Hall of Fame.
0: (laughs) I agree. Hall of Fame bald spot for sure, but never a Hall of Fame player. And I just, I'm tired of seeing this argument because guys like, NBA fans like guys who are loyal, unlike Kevin Durant, and guys who stick with their team and fill their role. Manu Ginobili was an awesome role player, and he was an awesome sixth man, probably one of the best of all time, but just never quite put up those Hall of Fame numbers. I would love to see him get in, I just don't think he will. Next up, we're going to move on to college football for real now. So Alabama released their first depth chart going into week one, and it has listed Tua and Jalen Hurts as co-starters. Luke, how do you feel about that move by Nick Saban to not name a definitive starter going into week one?
1: Well, I mean, yes, he may have two co-starters right now, but you can't start two quarterbacks week one. There will be one definitive starter, and he'll be out there for the first snap of the season.
0: I think um, this, with, this reminds me a lot of the Ohio State situation after Cardale Jones led them to that national championship game, and they had Braxton Miller, or what was that? his name, JT Barrett, Yeah. and Cardale Jones.
1: Well, I think, well, here's the thing. It's going to be tough having two co-starters because you're going to want to give the other person time to shine, whether that's Jalen Hurts or Tua, but I mean, if Jalen Hurts has a half where he throws three touchdowns, no picks, throws for 200 yards, it's going to be hard to get... Tua into the game or the other way around vice versa and Alabama is always going to win these games and their quarterbacks always excel so it's going to be hard in a system like this to find equal time for both these players to shine it's going to be a very short leash for these guys I mean it's going to be something like where one big mistake may just end like their time and their
0: playing time for this team here's my opinion with this and Nick Saban Nick Saban has coached at Alabama for, I think it's like eight, nine years. And I think eight years, maybe, maybe seven. I don't know for sure. he's been there for a while now. And over that time, he's had quarterbacks like Jake Coker and AJ McCarron. He's never had a lot of quarterback talent to work with. And now he has two. And I don't think he knows what to do. I think he's lost. And honestly, I think it's going to be a hindrance to this Alabama team because it's going to suck all the attention up and guys are not going to perform as well because that's going to be all they can focus on. And I think Alabama, because of this, is going to finish second in the SEC behind Georgia. They'll still contend, but I think ultimately Tua will win the job. I think Alabama has absolutely blindsided Jalen Hurts by this and he's been treated super unfairly.
1: I think that Alabama finished second in the SEC regardless of if they have a co-starter or not.
0: I, I don't know about that. I think if you go into the season and Tua never happened and Jalen Hurts just finished the national championship game and played strong, I think Alabama wins it because they're riding off that momentum. But their star player, the coach doesn't even like him anymore. He sat him in the middle of the national championship game and now he may not even be a starter because the guy performed well in two and a half quarters. Tua's good, and I think Tua will be good. But you know, Jalen Hurts—he's a senior. Let him start and let him finish out his career at Alabama because he's had a lot of success, and I don't think has done anything, anything to lose his starting job.
2: I think Nick Saban knows exactly what he's doing with these QBs and the way how he has some co-starting. I think he already has a set starter, but it's more of a strategic move so that the uh, the team they are playing week one does not know who they should be scouting for.
0: Definitive statement Matt, who's taking the first snap of week one for Alabama? Tua. Luke? Hurts. I've got Hurts as well. I think Nick Saban's going to realize what he did wrong, and he'll start he'll start Hurts, but I think he's going to get benched again because I think Nick Saban just isn't a good enough guy to actually play a guy who has won him a lot of games and done a lot of work for him. Instead, he's going to play the guy that everybody's hyping up because that's who Nick Saban is, and that's what Alabama is.
1: So was it the wrong decision to sit Jalen Hurts in that national championship? I
0: absolutely think so. I think he would turn it around, and Alabama was still playing good. It wasn't like they weren't playing good football. It wasn't like 2-0 went in and just – lit it up so hard that he won alabama that game he played good as a product of how good alabama was playing he rode the wave
1: but they won a national championship i don't think you could go back in time and you should go back in time to want to change that because they won the game now if you put Jalen, i think jalen hurts has been very he's been
0: very wrongfully treated by alabama because regardless of that everybody has bad halves every once in a while and i think he would have turned it around because he's a guy with lots of experience and talent but he's been treated so poorly by Alabama, and if I were him, I would have gotten out of there as soon as they did that. I don't forgive that. Being taken out because of one bad, not even a full half, I never forgive. I would never forgive that if I'm Jalen Hurts. Come to Oregon State. <laughs> you wish. All right, moving on. We're going to keep it going with Alabama football. Do either of you guys watch Undisputed, the show with Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless on FS1?
2: No, the only experience I have with that show is Skip Bayless debating himself on Aaron Rodgers.
0: Um,
1: I I love Skip Bayless. I love watching him his stuff.
0: Um, so I'm a pretty big fan of Undisputed. It's probably my favorite sports talk show. I know everybody's kind of got the one that they pay attention to and watch. First take, baby. first take is it's a always, good one as well. That's best. that's a popular one. For me, it's uh, Undisputed on FS1. And this morning they had. College football analyst Joel Klatt on, and he kind of got into it with Skip Bayless a little bit, and Skip Bayless really defended himself well. But basically, Joel Klatt's point was that it was irresponsible not to pick Alabama to win the national championship. And if history tells us anything, that's statistically kind of true. You know, they win most national championships, and they're always there. Luke, do you think it's irresponsible not to pick Alabama to win a national championship?
1: I don't know if it's irresponsible. Because my analyst to the left thinks Oregon has a chance to win the national championship. And
0: that's very responsible. It's a conservative pick. They have the best quarterback in the nation. Oh, They're going to have a good defense, new head coach. You cannot tell me he's better than Jake Fromm. In a, divi- in a division that will play well against each other, but against outside divisions will struggle. Yeah, That's all I've got to say about that, but let's get back on Alabama. Is it irresponsible not to pick them?
1: I think it's very responsible not to pick them. I think they don't have the best roster in college football right now. I think Georgia has a better all-around roster than them. And with this quarterback controversy, like you mentioned, Jaden, it may do something to their team. I don't think it's irresponsible not to pick them, even though they are always in the mix.
0: Alabama has won national championships under Nick Saban in 2009, 2011, 2012, 2015, and 2017. That is a lot of national championships in an eight-year stretch. Nick Saban has proven himself to be the best coach in college football currently, and he has proven himself to be able to get the best recruits on both sides of the football. Now, that being said, I think Alabama's headed for a little bit of a downswing right now. I think Georgia's gonna take over the SEC for four to five years and I'm not saying this to dog on Nick Saban, but I just don't think Alabama's going to have as much success. I think this quarterback controversy will hurt them for a few years, actually, not just this year, because players are going to realize, hmm, maybe Nick Saban's not this nice guy that he says he is when he comes into my living room and gives me the pitch to come play there, because you know he sat Jalen Hurts down in the middle of a national championship game. That's the right
1: all. move. They won the game.
0: Okay, but maybe the right move, but not the right move for the
2: players. I personally think it is responsible to not pick Alabama, to win it all this year, considering Georgia definitely has a better roster this year, and I think they have the better recruiting classes for the years to come. I like what Kirby
0: Smart is um, cooking up in Georgia right now. In terms of irresponsible not to pick Alabama, I would have to say in years past, yes, that's probably true, but I think that tide is going to change this season. The tide will not roll like it normally does. Again, staying with college football, we're going to talk the playoff as a whole. Ever since it was re- ever since the playoff was instated in college football, people have been like, oh, it needs to be more than four teams. It needs to be more than four teams. A lot of people think it should be four teams because it does give a little bit more. It gives the regular season more meaning to have only undefeated or one lost teams in it. Luke, do you think the playoffs should be expanded to either six or eight teams?
1: I think it should be expanded to eight teams, and I think no matter what conference you're in, no matter your schedule, if you go undefeated in the regular season, you should be in the playoff, and I think they should seed it. I, I but think how you should- do you make room
0: for a team like, okay, so let's say, <laughs> let's say you're Oregon, for example. You go all year and you have one tough loss to a highly ranked Washington.
1: You're going to find yourself in the top four. They're already number 25 right now. But
0: Okay, but there's let's say Alabama and Georgia both locks. Like, let's say they both make the playoffs. Let's say Michigan gets in in the Big Ten. So if UCF goes undefeated again, where does that leave one loss Oregon who took one loss, tough loss, to USC? That's why I don't agree with that for. Me. This
1: year, a UCF team that goes undefeated?
0: Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm just like that's just an example.
1: This year, a UCF team that will be undefeated will be over Oregon because it'll be two years in a row that they haven't lost a
0: game. I'm just saying that that's why I don't agree with the four-team format. I think a lot of good teams get left out. In my opinion, the format should be... Well, don't you be,
1: think a team that, should go, that goes undefeated should be in the
0: playoffs? I I, it, I, think it's all about context. And here's my format for the playoffs. I think every winner of, the, of a Power 5 conference should be in the playoffs. I want this to be a six-team format. Five teams, Power 5 winners. I want the six-team to be wild card so a team like UCF could get in going undefeated or a team like Boise state, maybe who goes undefeated could get in or maybe, maybe in the big 10, you've got, undefeated michigan but you've also got one loss wisconsin so maybe wisconsin gets in it doesn't necessarily have to be a non-power five team just the next team up and i think that gives a lot of significance to winning your conference which i think should be a huge deal in college football because it's all about conference rivalries and we want much more big games in college because that's what keeps that's what keeps the sport alive
1: here's my problem with that in the big 10 you got a side of the conference that has michigan Penn State, Ohio State, and I believe Northwestern as well. You're going to get, it's very, oh, Penn State, not to mention also, you're going to get a side of that, that you may have a three loss team. In the top half, or maybe even a four-loss team with a non, with an out they of conference schedule. If win the schedule. conference,
0: they're the best team in the conference.
1: Okay, but if you have four losses compared to some other people, I don't think you should be in.
0: I, I think all the inf- okay. If you get, like, it, if
1: like, if you come out lucky and you win one good game against what could be maybe an undefeated Wisconsin. What
0: is a what is a bigger game, Michigan, Michigan State, or Alabama, Washington? Michigan-Michigan State. Exactly. These conference games mean everything, and they should mean everything. I think all the importance needs to be placed on winning your conference because we do that, we get more big games, which is better for the sport and better for the competitiveness.
1: So you think a 4 let Let's for example. If they win their conference, yes. Okay, a four-loss team, let's say that they lose their conference. uh, So we'll say it's a four-loss Penn State and they're in the mix and they win the big ten compared to a two loss or a one loss like a one loss team that lost their conference championship.
0: Like it could be a four. That's the reason for the wild card, the next team up. So if you're in the Big Ten and it's undefeated Michigan versus 9-4 and four Penn State, 9-4 and four Penn State wins, then, yeah, put Michigan in as the wild card. I think it needs to be a six-team format with only one wild card because it places all the importance on winning your conference, which is what college football's all about. It's all about the rivalries and playing in your conference. Because, what, eight of your 12 games, nine of your 12 games are going to be in your conference? It's, it's, it's what matters. So two teams
1: are going to get a bye week in the playoff? I don't think it should work like the NFL.
0: If two teams it expands
1: the weeks out too long. If you get a team on a roll, they've been playing hot football, if they have to sit for a week and then play a top six team, I don't think that does any
0: good. So would you be okay with this format if it was maybe an eight-team format with five Power power Five winners and three wild cards?
1: Yes, I think that's much better. I think you have a you have a matchup every week. You don't have teams sitting. and I think that leaves a little more space for a non-Power Five team to get in. Like I said, if UCF goes undefeated again this year. That'll be 23 straight wins for them. You're not
0: going to go undefeated without Scott Frost. Look at their schedule. Who are they going to lose to? Their toughest game is UNC. Okay, but let's keep it to the playoff. I don't have a problem with an 18 format. All I'm saying is that I'd rather see the 16, even though there is a problem, like you're saying, with teams having to sit a week. I think a six-team format would just work much better because it places the importance on winning the conference, which is, I think, what we need to focus on in college football to keep the sport alive.
2: I agree with um, going with an eight-team playoff system because that way you have teams playing every single week and no bye weeks going on. Plus, I think uh, one common complaint with extending it to eight teams is you're adding another week to college football and that these players are really young but really it's just one extra game that these kids are playing and a lot of these team, a lot of these players on these teams are going to be going on to the nfl because that's just how it works and they're going to have to be getting used to six 16 week seasons anyways
0: i think At the end of the day, the playoff system is flawed. It is a big improvement over the BCS system, but it is flawed and it needs to be improved. I think any sort of expansion would be a huge victory for college football, but I think start with six teams, maybe work the way to eight, but I think six is going to be a great starting point. Thank you guys for tuning into episode four of Talking Ball. Big thanks to Luke Roth for joining us again. He's going to be a big reoccurring guest for us over the course of this podcast, hopefully. Anytime. Make sure to tune in Thursday for episode five. And uh, thank you for all the support so far and just help us keep this thing going. Thank you very much.